0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Our text this morning is Acts 20, verses 1 through 12. But as we come to the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand what He says to us. Let's pray. Guide us, O God, in the reading of Your Word and by Your Holy Spirit, that in Your light we may see light, in Your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 20, verses 1-12 through After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Troph- Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, you can come up and join me. Welcome. Good to see y'all. Good to be back with you. I missed y'all last weekend. All right, so if this picture was the only one that you saw in the story, what kind of story would you think this was? If this was the only picture you saw, what kind of story would you think this was? Yeah? Yeah, you you have seen this picture before, but if this was the only one, would, would you think this was kind of a scary story? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, well, I've got another one for you. Let's see what about this one if this was the only one you saw would, would you think that this story had sort of a bright happy ending or maybe kind of a dark one dark yeah that's right okay so let's see what about this one these uh these two guys in jail with a a bunch of people yelling at them uh, with angry faces. Is is this starting to look like a comedy or a tragedy? Tragedy, yeah, that's right. All right, all right, let's do another one. All right, how about this this ugly giant hitting these guys with a wooden club? Are you getting warm feelings about how this story is going to work out? Okay, all right, last one. All right, so this one, uh, this one happens to be from the last page in their story. Um, what what kind of ending do you think they have? Yeah, okay, that's, that's looking a little bit better, huh? Yeah, a nice, bright entrance into the heavenly city. All right, so... Well, yes, stories have words, and you have to read them. That's... That is dead on. But the pictures help, right? The pictures help. Now, if you had seen that last beautiful picture first, if I had shown that picture to you first, how do you think it would have changed your thinking about the earlier kind of scary pictures? If you had known that everything was going to be good in the end, would that give you good courage to keep going through those harder, scarier parts of the story? Would that that have helped you? Yeah, I I think that it would. Getting a glimpse of how the story ends makes somebody able to endure, to keep going, and be full of good hope. Well, getting a glimpse of the good ending God is planning for His people is what happened in what we just read. Paul, you know, like some preachers, we just kind of keep talking, don't we? We just kind of keep going on and on, And, and Paul was preaching late into the night, and a young man named Eutychus fell asleep, sitting by an open window. He fell three stories down and died. I mean, that's scary, right? That's a scary thing, but then... But then everybody saw a picture of the end that God has in store for all of his people. Resurrection. In Paul's arms, Eutychus was brought back from the dead. And everybody saw God's power even over death, showing them that life, life, like that last picture, life, not death, is going to have the final word for all of God's people who who trust in Jesus. Now, does knowing the good end mean that you don't have to go through hard stuff? No. Some scary stuff, some painful stuff? Think about it. Eutychus was raised from the dead that night, but is Eutychus alive today? No, he's not. He died and he's waiting for the final resurrection just like Paul and, and all the believers between then and now. And if Jesus waits to come back, it's going to be the same thing for you and me. While we wait for Him, though, we can wait with good courage. We we might not know what's going to happen to us while we wait. Some of it might be good. Some of it might be terrible. But our God is able to make even terrible things work for the good of His people. That's just what He did when Jesus died on the cross for us. But then what did God do? God raised Him from the dead. And so even though God might not stop us from suffering, we can trust that even if the worst thing happens to us, our God is able to raise us up too. So, so we can trust Him, right? No matter what. Because He has shown us the end of our story. In Jesus, He is making all the sad things come untrue. And that's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Thanks, guys. You can go about your.
1: If you haven't done so already, open your Bibles to Acts chapter twenty. Our text this morning is Acts chapter twenty, verses one through twelve, and I want you to notice that this text begins and ends with encouragement. It begins with Paul encouraging the disciples there in Ephesus before his departure and then continuing to encourage the disciples throughout the regions of Macedonia and and Greece. And it ends with the family and friends of this young man Eutychus receiving no little comfort, Luke says. It's actually the same word, no little encouragement from the miracle that raised him to life after he died from his fall out of the third story window. And between those two snapshots of encouragement, of course, we we have the story of that miracle. We, We have the story that undergirds and supports the encouragement. But I think the point of that story and the way the encouragement works is easy to misunderstand. It's easy for us to, to misunderstand exactly what we're supposed to take from this miracle. And so to help us understand this story and help us to research, receive the encouragement intended, I want us to do a few things this morning. I, want, I first want us to look at the disciples' need for encouragement. Why, why was encouragement such a central part of Paul's ministry? Second, I want us to look at the root or the the source of that needed encouragement. Where do we find the encouragement that we need? And third, I want us to look at the proper fruit of that encouragement. What is the the actual encouragement that we are to receive? And then finally, once we have looked at the encouragement that Paul is ministering, I want us to look at our part in that encouragement same ministry of encouragement today so first let's let's begin with the disciples need for encouragement in verse 1 luke writes after the uproar ceased paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them he said farewell and departed for macedonia now the uproar that, that that luke is referring to here you'll remember that is the the uproar that we looked at last sunday It's the the uproar that that arose after Demetrius, the the silversmith in Ephesus, who, who made his wealth making those silver shrines that were used in the worship of Artemis. Remember, he he complained about Paul's ministry. He he brought it to the attention of all the other craftsmen. He said, "We're going to be put out of business if this guy keeps ministering here in Ephesus, because Paul was teaching people that gods made with hands are no gods at all." And and he was having uh, he was reaping such a harvest among uh, the the citizens of Ephesus that Demetrius feared that he and the other craftsmen were going to be put out of business, and that that threat caused a an uproar, a uh, near riot. Now, in the second half of the text that we looked at last Sunday, which we we didn't actually get to look much at the second half of that text, but we saw that the, the town clerk dismissed the crowd that had gathered in the theater. He, he dismissed them with a veiled threat. He, he threatened uh, that Rome was going to bring down the hammer if they didn't cease and desist. He, he said, we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today. Well, that may not sound like a, a mere description, but it's really a, a threat because rioting was, was no small thing in the Roman world of the first century. The Romans were, were pretty relaxed about a lot of things, and, and they would allow uh, their provinces to, to govern themselves to a large degree so long as order was maintained and taxes could be collected. But if order was threatened and thus revenue threatened, They could come down with a very heavy hand, and they could come down quickly. And the people of Ephesus knew it, and so the clerk's threat was sufficient to dismiss the crowd. But Paul was not leaving Ephesus because of the uproar. He wasn't trying to get out before another riot broke out. He wasn't trying to escape the threat, as it were, but rather he was simply leaving because the uproar was now over. Remember, this had been his plan even before the uproar began, we were told at the beginning of that passage that he had resolved to return to Jerusalem by way of Macedonia and Achaia. He was, he was going back home. He was going to minister along the way, but he was headed back to Jerusalem. And actually, his trip had been delayed by the uproar. And now that the uproar was over, he was resuming his plans. However, that he has to send for the disciples before he leaves suggests to us that that maybe some of the disciples were reluctant to gather in the aftermath of that near riot. They were afraid of what might happen if if they gathered together publicly. They were afraid of what might happen if if they were identified as followers of the way. They were afraid of what the, the silversmiths and the other opponents of the way might do to them. And this fear this fear that, that is rooted in the costs of following Jesus is the source of their need for encouragement. They need encouragement because they have come to see firsthand what it costs to follow Jesus, and they are afraid of what the future might hold for them. It's fear that I suspect most of us have, have felt at, at some point in our lives. None of us have, have probably been caught up in a riot uh, of people opposing uh, the proclamation of Jesus as king. But all of us understand that this present age is full of trouble and that often those troubles are compounded and, and multiplied when we seek to follow Jesus faithfully. At the very least, the the easy way out that the the world often tries to take is not open to us because we are called to to stand and to serve faithfully our King. And knowing that, knowing that it's going to cost us to follow Jesus, knowing that it might hurt to, to stand firm in our faith, knowing that often leaves us unsettled and fearful. Fearful of what the future might hold fearful of what it might cost us to to follow Jesus. And so just like the disciples uh, after the riot in in Ephesus, we need encouragement. We need to be encouraged by the good news of the gospel. So let's let's look next at the, the source of that encouragement. Where are we going to find the encouragement that we need? Well, it seems likely that the the encouragement that Paul was ministering to the disciples there in Ephesus and then throughout Macedonia and Greece, it it seems likely uh, that 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 encouragement came in at least two parts. First, Paul almost certainly was reminding the disciples that the threat uh, that they experienced in in the form of that riot, that that such threats were always going to arise and, and may even come to fruition in the suffering and possibly even the death of God's people this particular riot had been had been dismissed before much violence was done but but previously such riots had had resulted in bodily harm to to Paul and to other followers of of Jesus Christ and and Paul never downplayed the reality uh, that that such threats were real and could often result in suffering for God's people we we know this from the book of Acts we know this from Paul's letters Paul seemed to always be be telling the disciples listen if you follow Jesus it's gonna hurt doesn't seem like much of an encouragement but but this was this was Paul's consistent message he'd he never downplayed the reality that it was gonna cost you to follow Jesus those who seek to follow him will suffer in this age but At the same time, Paul also always assured those whom he was calling to suffer, he was assuring them that God could strengthen them and and keep them and, and bring them through whatever suffering they were called to pass through. Yes, they may be called to, to pass through the fires. Yes, they may be called to, to pass through the waters, but the fires would not consume and the, and the floods would not overwhelm because God would be with them. God is always more than able to bring us through whatever suffering He asks us to endure, even death itself, to accomplish His good purposes. This is Paul's consistent message. We, we see it throughout his letters. Paul always assured uh, the disciples that God was probably, almost assuredly, going to allow them to suffer. He would not keep them from all suffering, but if and when God let them suffer, it would not be because he did not care, it would not be because uh, he he was uh, unable to, to stop it, but rather he would let them suffer only because their suffering somehow served his good purposes. That is, that their suffering served his purposes of good for them. Now, I know that's not easy to believe. (laughs) It it almost sounds like nonsense in in our ears, does it not? He's he's letting us suffer for our good? How can can that possibly be? It's, It's not easy to believe in fact i know that for many people it is the pain and suffering that, that so many in this world experience and especially the, the pain and suffering that god's people experience that is the the greatest obstacle to faith how can the gospel be true how can god be who you say he is when when all of this is taking place It's one of the most weighty questions that we we wrestle with it's it's, it's hard to believe in the face of such suffering and and luke knew that too Luke knew the weight of this question. He knew how how hard it was for, for people to make sense of suffering in this world, especially the suffering of God's people. And I think that's why he gives us this story. He gives us this, this story of, of Eutychus to strengthen our faith. So let's look, let's look at it more closely. Luke writes, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul uh, talked with them. He, he's there ministering to them. And in uh, just as a, as a brief aside i don't have time to, to fully un, unpack it but most commentators recognize that that phrase gathered together to break bread is actually a reference to to gathered worship not a not a formal structured worship service like we are uh having this morning but but no doubt the the reference to the breaking of bread is the is the reference to the lord's supper because it's the breaking of the bread And so they are gathered together for the Lord's Supper, and they are gathered together to to hear Paul preach. This this has the basic elements of a worship service, and so it's significant uh, that they're doing this on the first day of the week. Again, as I said, I don't have time to fully unpack it this morning, but this is one of the first hints that we get that that the the people of God in the first century, after Jesus' resurrection, no longer uh, were going to uh, gather on the Sabbath, but we're going to begin to gather on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, on the day of Jesus' resurrection. The early Christians did not feel bound uh, to gather on the Jewish Sabbath, but actually made the first day of the week the day of their gathering. That's, again, not actually the point so let's let's get back to the story here Luke tells us that because Paul intended to depart the next day he prolonged his speech until midnight now they had probably not gathered in the morning as we have gathered here this morning they had probably gathered together after work and so they had paul had had begun this this time of uh, gathered worship at some point in the evening but but even if they started in the evening even if they started after supper preaching till midnight is a long time he was he was going on for a long time understandably then some in the congregation became quite sleepy and their, their sleepiness was only made worse by the fact that there were many lamps burning in the upper room which uh, was, was causing the environment to be a little more conducive to sleep. And Luke tells us about one man in particular, one young man in particular. His name was, as I said, Eutychus. He's probably a 12 to, to 14 year old boy. We, we, we know that because he's referred to both as a young man and as a youth. In the story, so this is not a, a full grown man it 's not a, a little child hes he 's somewhere in between, probably a twelve to fourteen year old boy and he 's there listening to the apostle paul as he he preaches. But as he is listening, he is slowly overcome by sleep, and as a result he he falls out of the window uh, uh, where he was sitting, hopefully probably trying to get some fresh air, and he falls three stories to the ground. Below, And you can imagine the the commotion that ensued with with everyone rushing down the stairs to to check on the boy that had fallen out of the window. And Luke tells us that when they got to him, they found him dead. The fall had killed him. But when Paul gets to him, he bends over his body in a manner that is reminiscent of the stories about Elijah and Elisha that we read in the Old Testament. And he says to those in the congregation, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Now that does not mean that those who, who got to him first and who, who, who found him dead were, were mistaken to think that he was dead. No, the fall had killed him. Well, you know that the Scriptures are clear when, when people mistakenly think that someone's dead. They, they sometimes say they thought he was dead, but he was not. Here, the Scriptures clearly say the boy was dead. He, the fall had killed him. But Paul is announcing to the congregation that God is working powerfully through him to restore the boy to life. This is the miracle. This is the miracle that brought no little comfort and encouragement to to that congregation, to to his family and friends, and to all those who were gathered together. It's the Miracle that allows Paul to resume the service. I mean, did you notice that? Luke tells us that that after the boy was raised, Paul went back upstairs, broke bread, and then continued speaking until daybreak. But obviously it's this miracle, this this raising of Eutychus back to life, uh, that is the, the focus of our attention. So what are we to make of this story? Why does Luke record this story for us? Well, I think somewhat obviously, This story shows us that God has the power to raise the dead. That's the point, right? God is the God of life. God does not bow to death, but death must bow to God. Even death is under our God's control. Even death is under His authority. And if God rules death, we may assume that He also rules all the the lesser threats, all the the diseases and, and violence that might do us harm in this life, all the sources of suffering in this present evil age must bow to our God. That is what we are meant to see. Our God is the Lord God Almighty. He is the God who rules even over death. He is the God who has the power to work all things according to the counsel of His will. But that raises a question in our minds, does it not? If God has this power, if God has power even over death itself, if God has power over all disease and and suffering, why does he use that power so rarely? Ever wondered that? If God has this power, why does he use this power so rarely? I mean, just think about what we've experienced in our little congregation and just in the last few weeks. We, we have experienced the untimely death of, of more than one loved one. And we know of many others who are experiencing the slow death of disease. And many others are suffering in innumerable other ways. If God has power over death and disease and, and suffering, why doesn't he use that power to protect his people? Why do we still endure so much? I suspect that, that all of us have felt the weight of that question at, at some point. Probably we've felt that weight of that question at many points. You may be wrestling with it even this morning. And if you have felt the weight of that question, I want us to, to see how we are to understand the encouragement that we receive from this miracle we, we've seen that we all need that encouragement we, we we've seen that we all we all need the the encouragement that is rooted in God's power we we need the encouragement that is ours because our God rules over death but how does that encouragement actually work if God isn't actually using it to stop death if God isn't actually using it to 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 stop suffering if God doesn't often use His power to keep His people from enduring the uh, the miseries of life in this present age, what encouragement does God's power actually offer? It's a fair question, but again let's let's return to the encouragement that I said paul was was giving to those first disciples, that an encouragement that we we can unpack because we we see Him doing it in his letters. Remember, Paul was, was telling the first disciples there in Ephesus and throughout Macedonia that, that, that God was going to allow them to suffer. That was, that was part of his encouragement. He, he, was, he was allowing them to come to, the re, to, to an understanding that, that in this life there would be difficulty. In this life there would be suffering. But he was also assuring them that that suffering was under God's control. And if God had ruled over even the suffering and death of his people, then that suffering and death must serve his good purposes. That's what this story is all about. That's what the story of Eutychus is all about. It's, it's not a promise that God is always going to, to stop death or to eliminate suffering in this life. It is a it is a picture of the end as uh Sam was saying to the kids. It's a, it's a picture of God's power. It's a picture of what he's eventually going to do and it's an assurance uh, that that because God has this power, we can trust that whatever we are enduring in this life is not outside of his control. It's not contrary to his purposes, but in his mysterious wisdom somehow serves his purposes of good for his people. Too often we we think that God will, or at least should, uh, protect His people from all suffering because He can. That's why we experience suffering and, and, and death in this life as a, as a problem. We, we experience it as, as an evidence against God's power, against the claims of, of the Scripture about who God really is. We think that if He can, He should, and if He's not, then something's wrong. Either God isn't the loving God that we thought He was, or He isn't the powerful God that we thought He was. But but He can't be the loving, powerful God we thought He was if He's not doing something about our suffering. That's the way we think. But I want you to see that that is not the conclusion that the Scriptures lead us to. On the contrary, the Scriptures don't see a problem. But rather, what the Scriptures see is an encouragement. The scriptures reason that if God is in control, the suffering and even the death of his people, whatever suffering and death we experience in this life until Jesus returns, that suffering must serve God's purposes. And God's purposes are good. It's not that God is always going to stop it, as we said, but the fact that he has the power to reminds us that the suffering we are experiencing is not thwarting his purposes in this present evil age god rarely reverses death and suffering that that was actually true even even in the scriptures Do do you realize that as we as we read through the scriptures we can think oh there was a miracle every day that god's people were always being being delivered but but even in the scriptures these stories of deliverance are the exception—they are rare. They are—they are moments of, of the final uh, picture of the kingdom breaking in. They are glimpses of the future. They are—they are previews of, of what God is going to do and what God is going to accomplish. But even in the scriptures, even in the age of the apostles, they were rare. They were taking place where the apostles were. They were taking place during the the days of their their ministry. But it wasn't as if everyone who was suffering was was being relieved. Everyone who who died was was being raised. God rarely reverses death and suffering in this present age. But, But we may accept and receive His mysterious providence, even when we don't understand it. Because we know who He is and we know the power that He wields over suffering and death, even in this present age. We serve a God who can do whatever He pleases. We serve a God who is who rules over death. And we serve a God who has promised to work all things together for the good of those who love Him, even death. And therefore, Even when we don't understand it, even when it hurts, even when we're grieving and and groaning, we can rest assured knowing that if He isn't stopping or reversing death, it must be because He is somehow using that suffering to work for the good of those who love Him. He is wielding that suffering for His good purposes. That's hard. But that is the encouragement of the scriptures. We, we don't see this picture of, of, of God working through Paul to raise Eutychus from the dead to, to, to convince us that God is always going to do that in this present evil age. But to remind us that that is the God who is in control of all that is unfolding in this present evil age. And therefore we must never come to the conclusion that, that the suffering and death of this present evil age somehow mitigates or, or denies God's Power, but rather it reminds us to rest in that power, knowing that He is even now working for our good and will one day return all things to their original goodness. Death will not have the last word, disease will not have the last word. God will have the last word, and that word will be good for His people. But how can we know that? Isn't that the question that we're left with? Okay, God's in control. God's working for good. But, but how do we know He's working for good? Again, it's a it's a fair question. We know His power, but how do we know He's wielding that power for our good? And of course, we find our answer when we look to Jesus. What does Paul say? God did not spare His own son but he gave him up for us all and if God gave Jesus as the ransom price of our redemption then we can know uh, his love for us beyond all reasonable doubt and we can with Paul say if he did not spare his own son how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? How will he not work all things? Even the the suffering and the the death and the misery of this present evil age. How will he not work all that for the good of those who love him? This is the hope of this story. You may be thinking, oh, I wish God would do that for me. (laughs) And he can. God can do whatever he pleases. But recognize that, that this is not how God often works in this age. But he's able to and because he's able to you can rest assured knowing that what he's not undoing he's using for the good of his people and the glory of his name and he will use it to bring you all the way to glory because that is his final good purpose for you and for all who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ this then brings us to the the final point just briefly, notice the ministry of this encouragement. As I said, obviously, we we need this encouragement. We, we suffer and we struggle and we groan and we, we grieve and we we need the encouragement of knowing that our suffering is not in vain, that our suffering is not contrary to God's purposes, that our, our, our suffering is not causing God's promises to, to, to be nullified. We need this encouragement. Not the, the false hope that we will never suffer, but the, the true living hope that God will use whatever He calls on us to pass through for His good purposes. But I want you to see that, that not only uh, do you receive this encouragement, but that this encouragement is meant to flow through you to others. You have been called to be a minister of this encouragement, both in this congregation and in this community. We, we see this in the, the list of, of Paul's companions there that are, that are listed in, in verse 4. Just the sheer number of, of people that, that Luke mentions here is a reminder that, that Paul never worked alone, that this ministry was always a, a shared ministry. But, but notice how Luke describes these companions. He, he, he emphasizes their home region. He, he seeks of Cepater, the Berean, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Tychius, and Tromit, uh, Trophimus of Asia. It's only Timothy who doesn't have his hometown uh, mentioned here. And that, that emphasis upon the, uh, the home region of Paul's companions, it, it suggests something to us. It suggests that, that Paul wants us to see that wherever Paul ministered, people from that area, from that region, joined him as, as co-laborers in this ministry. Why? Because this ministry belongs to all who receive it. There are no apostles today, there are none who, who speak with Paul's authority, who are, who are speaking the very words of God with, with the infallibility of the, of the Spirit. But recognize this, that the church that received the apostolic gospel and is now built upon that apostolic foundation, that it is called to continue the apostolic ministry of encouragement. We continue to be ministers of this word of encouragement to one another and in our community. As I said last week, not everyone plays the same part in this work. Not everyone has a mouth like Paul. But every member of the church is a member of the body. And as a member of the body, every member has has a role to play in this work. And therefore, if you are here this morning and you are a member of the body through faith in Jesus Christ, then not only is this encouragement for you, but you have the opportunity to be a minister of this encouragement to those who are seated around you. To those in your community who God brings into uh, your life, you have the opportunity to proclaim the hope of this gospel. And so that's what we see here. This is a passage about encouragement. The, the encouragement that Paul brings to the fearful disciples in Ephesus. The, the encouragement that 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 Eutychus is raising to life brings to his family and friends uh, there in that congregation. Too often we allow our experience of suffering and death to cause us to question God's power and goodness, but this text calls on us to instead hold fast to our faith in God's power and goodness and allow it to transform the way we experience suffering and death in this present evil age. Whatever you have suffered and whatever you are now suffering is not beyond God's control. It is not outside of His attention. God is ruling, even over death. And therefore, you can rest assured, knowing that He is working all things together for His good purposes. Your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering is not outside His control. But your suffering is an instrument in your Father's hands as He uses it to prepare you for that day when you will come into His glory and because we can have that assurance and because we can minister that assurance to others that is one reason we call this good news do you believe that Amen. Amen. let's believe it together father god we thank you we thank you for the uh, the glorious hope of this gospel father forgive us for misunderstanding and forgive us for for thinking that uh, that your power over death means that you must always stop it here and now but instead father teach us to to trust you and to rest in your good power, knowing that you are using it to work all things for the good of those who love you in Jesus Christ. Father, let us rest assured in your mercy and grace and goodness. To the praise of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.